Can you hear me, world? Are you out there? Are you listening? I just sat down with Dr. Mary Kerr. She's doing some incredible things uh, for her patients up in the Dallas area. And she's fighting the good fight. Exposing some perverse incentives in the uh, the pharmaceutical industry and just the the insanity that the last two years has has wrought on the healthcare industry. We talk a lot about preventative care too and like diet and how to be healthy. Be healthy, freaks. Be healthy. Go for a walk. Get some vitamin D. Sun your balls. Get your tea up. Enjoy this rip. This rip is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to bring you financial services, to bring you security, to bring you education, to bring you white glove concierge service that'll take you from zero to having a two or three multi-sig vault set up where you hold two keys and Unchained holds one key. This is important. You eliminate single points of failure. If you have all your Bitcoin on an exchange, that is a single point of failure. Bitcoin exchanges are known to get hacked. They're known to be targets of regulatory scrutiny. One day you can wake up, you can either not have your Bitcoin because the exchange lost it or not have access to it because somebody went to the exchange and said, don't give the freak access to his Bitcoin just because we said so. Unchained helps you eliminate that single party risk, okay? By creating a two or three signature vault, a multi-sig vault where you hold two keys again. So you have full control of your Bitcoin as long as you have those two keys. Not even Unchained can prevent you from moving those Bitcoin. You can move them whenever you want. Um, but Unchained does have a key in case you get in a pinch and you need them uh, to, to move your Bitcoin. On top of this, they're providing financial services. They have a lending desk. They have an IRA product. Uh, they're they're building out a, a banger, banger team. Go check out everything they have going on at Unchained.com. Unchained.com. Use the code TFTC. If you want to do the white glove kind of share service, you'll get $50 off. That package comes with video conference calls, hardware wallets, and a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats dumped in your vault once it's all set up. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. 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 The team with the brains to bring you the Brains OS Plus firmware that's going to help you stack more sats with your ASICs. If you're in the mining world and you have an ASIC, one of those computers that, that produces hashes that allow you to connect to a mining pool that then pays you in sats for contributing to producing hashes that allow you to add blocks of transactions to the Bitcoin network. Brains OS Plus firmware, uh, if you download it on an ASIC, if that ASIC is compatible, it's going to help you stack more sats because you're going to be producing more hashes, uh, which is going to get you more sats at the end of the day from uh, the mining pool or your your own pool, your, your own self-mining um, operation if you have one. Uh, Brains OS Plus firmware is the firmware that Brains is working on. They're also the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in Bitcoin's existence, the first ever mining pool. It's, it's survived. A lot have, have come and gone, but Slush Pool has remained steadfast, a stalwart in the mining pool industry. If you're using Brains OS Plus firmware on your ASIC and you point your hash at Slush Pool, you're going to get 0% fees from Slush Pool. So um, that's a good perk. You don't have to point your Brains OS Plus firmware uh, enabled ASIC at 
slash pool. However, if you do, you get those fees uh, waived, the, the pool fees. Uh, they've got insights.brains.com, an incredible website that'll uh, allow you to get a, a whole perspective of the mining industry, profitability, hash rate, difficulty, pool distribution, uh, the you know, profitability of individual ASIC models, the, the whole shabam, insights.brains.com. Go to brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out everything they have going on. It's all consolidated in that one web website. You go to brains.com. You'll see slush pool, firmware, the dashboard, the good content, brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you a no, no KYC, no AML lending uh, platform that it, that leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. You put Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the loan holds one key, and then HODL HODL is the third key, the arbiter in the situation. Um, the beauty of this, you don't have control of the Bitcoin throughout the duration of the loan. However, since you hold a key in the two or three multi-sig wallet, you have visibility into the wallet, which gives you the the ability to have confidence that your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated after you put it up as collateral to get stablecoin liquidity. You put your Bitcoin up in the two or three multi-sig, you get stablecoins in return. As long as you're paying back that lo- loan plus the interest attached to it, you are going to get your sats back at the end of the day. The other side of that marketplace is the people giving out the stablecoins. If you have stablecoins and you want to enter a peer-to-peer um, uh, anonymous lending market, you can do that at HODL HODL. Uh, lend.hodlhodl.com is the lending platform. Uh, Hodl Hodl also has a peer-to-peer exchange. You just go to hodlhodl.com for that. Um, they're building incredible tools and products at Hodl Hodl. Bang up team, really staying true to Bitcoin's ethos of peer-to-peer um, commerce and leveraging Bitcoin's native properties to to bring a future financial product. Well, it exists today. It's not a future financial product. It's here today, but they're creating a vision of, of what a future financial company may look like. Lend.hodlhodl.com for the lending platform. Enjoy this riff. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. So you're nervous to do this? A little bit. I always get a little nervous. And once I get going, the breeze. Wait. Just, I don't know. It's it's unusual talking live to people that you can't see and get feedback from. That's like, you know what I mean? That just fades into the background. Yeah. Three minutes in, it's like, oh, you don't even realize you're live. Yeah. Um, are you nervous to talk about uh, this particular oh. subject? Oh. You know, I think it's just, I, I, I feel like we need to inform people about what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So am I nervous? Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Um, but I feel like it's, our duty to share. I do as well. That's why uh, we're going to do this on YouTube. YouTube, please don't kick us off. We're just going to have a conversation here. Exactly. Susan, Susan Wojcicki, 
sitting down with Dr. Mary Care, who's been uh, treating patients for... Since the beginning of the pandemic, since, the but since um, graduating from medical school in 97, <laughs> long time. But more more recently, the, the pandemic, I've been, you know, knee deep in all of it. And what's the, and you're stationed in Dallas, correct? I'm in Dallas. Um, I am, uh, I did a double residency in internal medicine and physical medicine and rehabilitation, and then a two-year fellowship in functional medicine. So I have a wellness concierge type practice that's outside of the system for a reason so that I can give the type of care that I want to give to my patients. And um, so it involves preventative medicine, but then through the pandemic, I've been treating a lot of COVID. <laughs> What's that been like? Uh, in in some ways easier than one would think because I hadn't had, I had no deaths and no hospitalizations. Uh, I had one patient who notified me that they had COVID a little bit later and went for a chest x-ray and was um, discharged from the ER without any problems. So really hardly any complications. Um, but I had to do an incredible amount of research and dig through and form my own opinions and treat each patient as an individual instead of, you know, one size fits all. So, um, so from a, from an outcome standpoint, it's been good because my patients have all done really well and no one's died. Um, but from a practical standpoint, um, the way I feel about trying to get the right things to the, to my patients and, um, concerned about, if I say the wrong thing or if I do the wrong thing, potentially being long-term repercussions that could affect you know, my ability to practice medicine in the future have been a major concern. And um, one of the hardest things is to stand in front of an individual patient and say, you know, for these reasons, you might want to consider these options. And for these reasons, you might want to consider these options and being fearful that if I said anything incorrectly, there could be long-term repercussions um, for my patient and and also for, for my career. So it's been a tough, it's been a tough time. Informed consent has been almost impossible to get because we don't have as much data as we normally would for any type of treatment. Uh, and technically, if we're giving any kind of treatment, we should be able to give a patient uh, a reasonable list of pros and cons and um, allow them to either say yes or no to that treatment treatment. And, uh, that's been more difficult because the science isn't there yet for us to be able to, to do that. So informed consent has been an issue, um, concern over, um, political, uh, repercussions of, of, um, how something might be interpreted as far as, you know, your treatment plan and why you're recommending it and how that could be scrutinized by people who have, have not gone to medical school. or um, And then probably the biggest problem has been um, getting the medications that I prescribe to the patients and um, kind of this bullying mentality that's been going on between the pharmacist and the doctors because the doctors have the license to pre- prescribe certain medications, but the pharmacist think that they have the right to refuse those prescriptions. And in a way, their license allows them to dispense medication. They cannot prescribe, but they can refuse to dispense if they deem it a danger. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're basing whether or not something is dangerous on false narrative. Yeah. 
The, I mean, are you, so how long have you been treating patients? When did you start treating your patients with the uh, particular treatments um, that, that the pharmacists are bullying you about? Mm-hmm. Um, when the pandemic first broke out, I remember it hadn't quite gotten to the United States and I dove in headfirst into research and um, really made it my full-time job almost to research because I was preparing for what I thought was going to be a tidal wave. And um, and in my research, some of the things that I learned about, um, you know, turned out to have later scientific study that justifies their usage. But in the beginning, you're trying to find the most efficacious agent with the least possible harm or uh, the the biggest safety profile because you know it's coming. And, um, and I mean, maybe a lot of doctors didn't think it was going to be as bad, but I was one of those that right away understood what we were about to go through and felt um, incredibly compelled to spend hundreds of hours researching and trying to find the best options because I, I literally felt like my research was going to make a difference between life and death for people I care about. Um, my patients, my family. Uh, so it was time worthwhile. And um, the prescriptions or the the agents that I chose actually um, with, you know, in conjunction with other doctors and and even discussing it through Zoom meetings with other other professionals and and um, coming up with protocols. and and um, so I felt like I had a really good grasp on what could potentially help at a very early time and started prescribing things way before most. Mm. Are we allowed to say the, uh, um, so the biggest one that I used was ivermectin Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, draw your own conclusions as far as, I mean, my results are that I haven't lost any patients. Um, but as far as the safety profile, it's incredibly safe and over the counter in most places and has been shown for a very long time to have antiviral properties that we're still starting to understand, but it's been used for many other RNA viruses. So it made sense to try it for this because it was such a uh, low risk agent with a potential upside, huge upside. It's been described as a miracle drug by some people. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, in my patients, in some of my patients, it, it has t- turned them from um, extremely ill to to do, I mean, has contributed to uh, what I believe has played an important role in their healing. Me personally, I took ivermectin. I think it <laughs> helped me as well um, when when I was prescribed, and I got it relatively late in my my COVID journey. Yeah, I'll tell you a kind of a funny story um, that happened during the middle of the Delta variant. Um, driving down the road, and I hadn't talked to a really good friend college in a long time. And for some reason I got that kind of guy, Oh, I need to call and check in with her. So I called her and I literally probably hadn't spoken to her in eight years, but I was just like, Hey, just thinking about you. How are things? And, um, she said, I can't believe you just called me. Um, my husband and I are so sick and we've been to the emergency three, three times, the emergency room three times and three times we've been turned away with nothing. Um, my, her husband is a diabetic and high risk. And uh, they told us to come back when you're more sick. And um, 
so I decided to to help her out and um, prescribed for her. And in that particular case, it was incredibly dramatic, the improvement um, in a short amount of time. But it was just one of those weird circumstances where I thought about her, I called her, and they needed me. And I prescribed it. And um, they had a full recovery, but it was uh, it was touch and go for very for before the ivermectin was started. And then I don't mind saying that I personally use it for prophylaxis because I'm seeing COVID patients all day uh, in my office, or I was at the time. And so I was taking it once a week for prophylaxis. And mm-hmm. I felt confident enough in the safety profile that I thought it was worthwhile. Um, you know, it's funny. It's also used for rosacea and um, rosacea acne type skin skin things. Mm-hmm. And so people have taken it long-term for that, even though it's not FDA approved. So there there is long-term use data. And um, so I felt comfortable enough to do that. I thought that was a, a worthwhile. Yeah, I remember one of the uh, one of the knocks, the people who were anti-ivermectin tried to give it was like, oh, it'll make you blind. But then you look into like the study that it actually treats that, that's uh, that actually treats it. But like yeah. the only way it can make you blind is you like if you OD on it and take it, an amount that is un, ungodly and not practical. From right. you can't even OD on it if you right. if you get like a prescription. To treat your ivermectin, why? Why is the world going crazy? Why? I mean, like you said. Oh, I we, do want to say I never got COVID. By the way, oh, you know, no, and no. I was um, in the room for forty-five minutes with COVID patients all day, every day. So, for whatever that's worth, maybe I'm one of those weird people that just won't get it, or, or uh, I don't know. I've checked my antibodies; I don't have them. So. Yeah, and I then, don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, we live in an insane clown world now. This, this medicine, ivermectin specifically, has been prescribed and taken by individuals billions of times over now over the last 40 years. Incredibly safe. Incre- uh, and I think, um, you know, I, from, from the results I've seen, uh, effective. Yeah. Especially early. And so... What do you think it is? Do you think it's malice or just straight greed from like the pharmaceutical companies and big pharma? (laughs) Because you've had instances recently, again, like you mentioned, you were getting bullied by pharmacists who refuse to fulfill a prescription that you're giving. Um, Yeah. You know, I don't know if I want to try and figure out what their motivation is. I just want people to be informed on what is going on as far as, you know, in, in a doctor-patient relationship, it really should be between that individual patient and the individual doctor to come up with the best possible solution for that exact situation. And there's so many variables. Why there is such a strong anti-medication um, or this particular medication and then the narrative on the other side of um, other experimental things that are not FDA-approved um, I can't explain it. I'm, I, the layer of complexity that it it, it 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 baffles me completely. Why anyone would want to deny a life saving, a potentially life saving medication that has extremely high safety profile? It doesn't make any sense at all. What do you think? What do you, I mean? <laughs> um, I think there's demons in this world that are. <laughs> I do think we're like in a battle of good and evil right now. Um, I feel it. And- I feel that. Yeah. That's what it feels like on the front lines. You feel like 
you know, any step, if you take a wrong step, you could change your life for the better or for the worse at any moment. Yeah. And, um, I mean, just as a podcaster, I've been trying to talk about this for two years now and, <laughs> and tweeting about it. I just get, you get the sensors on you. YouTube's the only strikes that we've ever gotten on the show. We've gotten two. Um, it's because we're talking about this <laughs> and we're just having a conversation about uh, treatments and um, the, uh, the pros and cons of rushing a vaccine to market. And you can't even say, like, YouTube probably pick up ivermectin and vaccine and their, their audio reading algo. And they might give me a strike for this just for even talking about it. They'll probably send somebody to look at the connotation of the conversation and, and uh, how we're talking about the subject and, and give a judgment call like, hey, they're, they were pro-ivermectin and questioning the vaccine. So that's a strike. That's Well, we haven't questioned the vaccine in this particular so not, far. <laughs> not yet, but we're going to. Uh, I'm going to. I'm, I'm not going to pull you into that if you don't want to be pulled into it. But I, I'm... It, I'm somewhat willing to um, say how I feel, but I'm also willing to admit if I could be, I could be wrong. Yes. And I mean, it's just crazy. Like, why can't we have these kind of things? So what do I think? What is the intention? behind? I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I do think there's definitely a monetary component to it. Pfizer, Moderna, J&J are making a lot of money um, in the particular situation that uh, you had recently. The, pharmacist was trying to push the emergency use authorized ivermectin knockoff pill that was much more expensive than the generic right. drug. So, Molnipravir is um, the new antiviral that's being um, offered and under emergency use authorization, not yet FDA approved. Um, but uh, I think what you... You, you might want to show your audience what happened um, because I recorded a conversation. Uh, it had happened so many times where pharmacists had told me that I couldn't prescribe ivermectin. And this particular time I said, you know what, I'm just going to record this because I think this is wrong. And I think this should be a decision between the patient and the doctor and that the pharmacist should not try and interfere with that decision. And so I was in the middle of pleading my case to a pharmacist saying, basically, I really want to get this prescription to someone who's sick. And this particular pharmacist said that drug doesn't work, which is not his decision to make, because how would he know if it worked for that individual mm -hmm. or if that, that situation called for it or not? And um, said, I won't prescribe it at first. And that's when I pushed record. And Car, I just texted you the, uh, the video. If you uh, want to pull it up, it should be a Zoom link. Um, and then we can talk about, you know, how often this is happening and. Yeah. And really kind of the legality of, of it. Yeah. Because I think that's questionable. <clears throat> right. Because where is the evidence that, I mean, the pharmacist, the only way they can deny a prescription is if they think it's going to harm somebody they're there for dispensing and for safety mm -hmm. and so they can say no to something because it could potentially be unsafe but in this situation it is 
incredibly safe. There aren't many things that are but, more safe. Yeah, well, I mean, what evidence are they using to say it's not safe? Like, is there any out there? Like, nobody's ODing from ivermectin or... Right. Well, in this particular situation, he wasn't even saying that it was a safety issue. He said it doesn't work. Well, that is absolutely outside of his scope of expertise and what his license allows him to do. He should not be deciding whether or not a particular drug works or doesn't work for a particular patient that he doesn't even know. Mm -hmm. um, this particular patient I've known for over a decade. You know, that's a little different than a pharmacist who didn't even know the patient's name making a, an informed decision for that patient based on their risk profile. Mm -hmm. And this particular patient, ironically, had reasons not to take, or one of the warnings for not taking the newer agents that the pharmacist was recommending. So this particular patient has some underlying health conditions that involve um, vascular disease and um, cholesterol and things of that nature. And there are some warnings and the drug that he was recommending actually was contraindicated and or should be used with more caution in this individual patient. And he was recommending it without even knowing the patient's name or history. So that's the problem. Yeah. And we let's let's roll the tape. Cause I've got some got a bunch of pushers in the pharmaceutical industry. They're like pusher men. It's like that song. <laughs> Hi everyone, Dr. Mary Kerr here. I wanted to fill you in on a situation that is unfortunately becoming more the norm than the exception. I had a patient call me this morning who had tested positive for COVID and uh, was having some shortness of breath, some pretty significant symptoms. Or can you blow it up? In the I lecture? called his pharmacy to call in prescriptions that have been shown to be effective, especially with early intervention. And um, I had a conversation with a pharmacist that I've had multiple times with other pharmacists, um, but this one in particular, I decided to halfway through the conversation push record because it's just um, gotten to be um, incredibly common and concerning. So I'd like to play that for you. And um, I'd like you to draw your own conclusions as to why um, pharmacists are trying to um, uh, dissuade doctors from prescribing potential medic uh, life-saving medications for their patients. This is at a Walgreens, correct? So, right? At a Walgreens. Here Dallas, is but this the is conversation going on every pharmacy that I've called. Uh, on. If I prescribe it, you're, the form, the pharmacy manager will decide whether or not you fill it, or is it something that I can go ahead. So the pharmacist determines based on their license whether or not they'll fill a prescription that a doctor prescribes for a medication. I'm just I'm struggling with this because I have a patient who has COVID who just tested positive, positive and I need to get him the prescription right away. And I don't think it's right for him to have to wait for a pharmacist to decide whether or not they'll fill a prescription. If you have it, I would think that you guys should fill it. This drug isn't proven to work. It doesn't work. How do you know it doesn't work? There's lots of... multiple studies. 
studies on it. We, we have um, the Minopra if, if you want to prescribe that. No, I want to, I want to prescribe ivermectin and I have read the studies and I'm a doctor and I'm the one who has the license to prescribe it. Um, so I'd like to prescribe it right now for a patient. If you have it in stock, I mean, he just tested positive early intervention. Um, I've read the studies. I'm well aware of them and I'm using my license and the authority that I have under my license to prescribe this for a patient who just tested positive for a life-threatening disease. I'm just wondering, well, Walgreens, Fill it. Uh, let me go ahead and take it down. Okay. And then I can tell the patient that he can come by and get the prescription or that he'll get a call one way or another that you guys will fill it. Uh, we'll just go ahead and fill it for this one time. Okay, great. Okay. The patient's. Okay. So I went on to give him the patient information. But um, what you just heard was a conversation between myself and a pharmacist. Um, he <clears throat> mentioned that he would need to call the lead pharmacist or the managing pharmacist to determine whether or not he would so fill a prescription that, that I was writing for a medication for a patient. Um, we can, we can pause it there, Carl. We can pick say, it up here. So. <clears throat> yeah, did you hear him say, oh, we do have, that, that's not proven to work in many, many studies but we do have molnipravir, which is brand new. Mm -hmm. And the other one has been around for decades. Yeah. So I, it made absolutely no sense. And it was, but that particular one conversation was one of dozens upon dozens of, of conversations that I've had. And it's not just that particular store and that particular pharmacist. I just had had enough and decided to push record because I felt like it was important that people understood that this is not a decision for a pharmacist to make. I mean, clearly, and it, it is a decision decision between myself and that individual patient only. And not YouTube, not um, the pharmacist, not whatever powers that be. Um, it's it's an individual decision. Yes, and. Uh, so you've had many of these conversations. Dozens upon dozens. And it's a weird bullying dynamic mm -hmm. that you see, I had to gently step up and, and, you know, tell him that I'm aware of what my license authorizes me to do. And I'm aware of what your license authorizes you to do. And I'm going to call you out. And most of the time they still say no. Is and, it? but this, in this particular case, he, for whatever reason, he backed down, but he's literally telling a doctor, um, why don't you prescribe this? <laughs> when that's not even what his license allows him to do. That's actually practicing outside of his scope. In fact, that could be considered practicing medicine without a license, which is illegal. Mm -hmm. um, if it did end up where he's dictating what a patient that he doesn't even know need, or any patient, even if he knows them, um, that's considering practicing medicine. If he's saying you need to, you know, if the doctor, uh, allowed him to practice, I mean, practice in such a manner. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it seems like we have this. Why don't you prescribe this? Like telling right. you what to prescribe. It's very it's like strange. And I've been, you know, I graduated from medical school in 97. I've never seen this degree of insanity. <laughs> it's completely, completely insane. And then, you know, you have to kind of pick your battles along the way and you're thinking, okay, do I, do I report, or I report every pharmacist that I've talked to in Dallas then, and, and, and who's going to do anything about it really? Yeah. I mean, eh, eh, like 
the insanity of it all. That's why I like think like, all right, we're in a battle of good and evil. Like it's so insane that like there has to be. I agree. I happen to agree with you. There's on that something one. nefarious going on behind the scenes that uh, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what it is, but and. Uh, I'm sure money is a part of it. And I think if you listen to the language of that pharmacist, particularly there was one line where he basically alluded to like, we're not allowed to prescribe that. Like they're, they're telling us we can't prescribe that. So there's a corporate layer at Walgreens that's, that's sending a message down to the, I mean, the foot can, soldiers. And, yeah, we can talk about the finances. My The prescription that I was um, calling in cost $34 with a coupon. <laughs> and the one that he was suggesting that I call in is $700. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did mention later or earlier, I can't remember. Um, we don't have the whole recording. We didn't share the whole recording because it had patient information in it. But he did say, um, but don't worry, your your patient won't be paying for that. Um, it'll be no cost to them. I thought that was interesting too, because who if, if the patient isn't paying this, no patient is going to pay $700 for a, uh, you know, a prescription that is, well, oftentimes they won't, some of them will. But um, I just thought it was interesting that, don't worry, you, you go ahead and, and call it in because it's free to them. Well, this isn't not about what's more, it, certainly if it was more effective or had more information and more research behind it, I'd be the first one to be calling it in at any cost um, if I felt like the benefits outweighed. Yeah, risks. I get this is not a money decision. This is what's best for that individual patient. Well, that's if we're acting in a, in a logical, sane world, but it seems that we're not. Again, we got pusher men out there. Mm-hmm. The fact that he like recommended the, the $700 medicine after telling you, we can't prescribe this, but we have the $700 pill that you should prescribe. Mm-hmm. It's like that. He didn't say that it was seven hundred dollars, though. No, yeah. I looked up the price. He said, "I said, in fact, I asked him. I, I, I need to retra- <laughs> retrace what I just said. I actually asked him how much is it, and I think I and I know now, recalling, I actually looked up how much it was. He said, "Don't worry, it's nothing mm-hmm. to your patient," but he actually didn't. We did not disclose the cost. I had to look that up. Yeah. So what do you what do you think is going on at the, the upper? levels of the, the pharmaceutical world from the Pfizer's and the Moderna's to the Walgreens CVS's because that's what we were describing. I was telling you when I had to get ivermectin, we had to call around and find a mom and pop pharmacy. And it's County. getting worse and worse. And that's what I have to do too. I used to have to only call two or three pharmacists and then finally find someone who would prescribe it. Now it's five or six, seven or eight. And, that, and then more recently, it's been only really the mom and pops yeah. for the most part. What's going on? Are the pharmacists, is everybody under a spell? Are these people? I think people can draw their own conclusions to that. I don't want to um, really have anything to do with, with um, I, I, I don't know what kind of monster would um, deny a life-saving medication to somebody who's extremely sick. I, I don't, I can't pretend to understand their motivation or it, 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 it's baffling to me. And I'm just going to say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but it doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And none of this makes sense. And like you go, 
to the vaccine. I'm just like I'm pausing because like, do I want to talk about the vaccine? Yes. She's like, we so talk it's, about it's, recent. Um, it's so politically charged. But yeah, like today, this week, I mean, everybody's up in a tiff because of uh, the leak from the Supreme Court. But uh, the same day that leaked, you had the, the Pfizer documents drop 80,000 um, pages and people are dissecting that data. And there's a couple of researchers who came to the same conclusion independently, which it seems like some of the trial data may have been uh, manufactured. There may not have been as much uh, as many um, as many trial patients as they let on in the data. And then there's a lot of data in there about the effects of um, uh, the the vaccine trials on pregnant women specifically, and um, it's not looking good. And I've been following this pretty closely um, for the last couple of years. And I think when you look at everything that's going on in terms of increased myocarditis, just the anecdotal stories of, of athletes dropping um, like flies across the world as they're playing their sport. Um, and I think it's becoming obvious that the vaccine is harming some people. I don't know. Not everybody, but um, it's definitely not as safe and effective as it was originally. Certainly not as effective as it was originally marketed. Um, and I think data may be coming to market that's proving it may not be as safe as it was marketed either, which is well. Uh, it's been it, it's been an unusual time, but I can tell you the way I handled it in my practice was um, I was very forthcoming. Forthcoming, and I said I don't know preliminary. The research is still ongoing. It will take years. And I'm old enough to have seen blockbuster drugs get recalled after, um, you know, billions of dollars in sales. And I had prescribed some of those. Uh, fortunately, none of those that I know of had a bad outcome. But uh, one in particular, I mean, something as simple as Celebrex was recalled. And so I've seen things come out after FDA approval that um, were later deemed not safe enough to tolerate, or, or there were other alternatives that were more tolerable. And, and um, I've seen things get FDA, uh, the FDA approval process reversed. So I just took the approach of, you know, I can't give you informed consent on this. I can't advise you on this. This is, these are the facts that I know about you as an individual, and these are the facts that I know um, are potential complications, or and then we have to weigh the pros and the cons. And <clears throat> I just took the stance that it's okay, I don't know. And I would just be very, very clear. I don't know. And no one knows, really. <laughs> what we won't know for decades. And um, given that information, you have to make a personal decision that I will honor and support. Yeah. And it's, like, what, what are your thoughts on the, the speed with which it was brought to market and the enthusiasm with which it was pushed on people? Do you think that was responsible or? Um, I understand that the speed was uh, for a reason that, that um, was hopefully going to save lives in a in a situation that we've never seen and 
in, in our lifetimes. Um, I understand the urgency and I certainly felt the urgency for some options for treatment in the beginning because I really felt like it was going to be what it became. And I felt that early on. Um, so I know what the people behind the scenes were feeling possibly that, that we need to come up with a solution as quickly as possible or potentially millions of people will, will die. So the speed is not as much a concern as the informed consent to me. If you want to participate in a study, if you want to um, understand potential complications and um, you feel that the benefits outweigh the risk for your individual case, when everything is laid out in front of you as much as is known and you decide to contribute into contribute to science in that way using your body um, with the best knowledge available to you and you make that decision, you know, that is your choice. And I don't feel like people had uh, the opportunity to be informed because of the speed fully of what the pros and cons could be. Yeah. So that's my biggest concern is just consent. Yeah. And again, going back to bullying, you had bullying from the politicians, from corporations. Even and, the doctors were bullying the patients in some cases, you know. Oh, my wife's been getting, she's, I should be, I should be fair. She wasn't getting bullied, but um, definitely pressured in the beginning of uh, our visits to the, uh, the OBG um, to get the vaccine during uh, pregnancy. During pregnancy, uh, and two no, or, th- or first trimester probably too. Yeah, mm-hmm. two or three times. Like the first two or three times, <clears throat> were like, no, this is not happening, and uh, they, they relented after that. But yeah, like we go in there, ask, are you well, vaccinated? You should get vaccinated. It's like a lot of doctors fired patients for not getting vaccinated mm-hmm. after years of a relationship. I don't see how that's um, honoring the patient and they're right. Like, for example, if someone ch- has a religious belief not to receive blood products, we do the best that we can to find an alternative treatment to save a life in, in that sort of situation uh, without using blood because that's their choice. And we honor that. We, we've always been taught to honor the patient's wishes. It's their body. And um, so if, if someone of a religious persuasion that doesn't want blood products comes in and needs blood products, we, we, we won't give it to them. And that can be a life or death decision. And hopefully we can find an alternative. This is um, a situation where if someone for religious reasons or concerns or even just any reason decides that they don't want to participate in a study, you know, any other time in history, we would honor that. Yeah, for some reason, with this particular situation, this outbreak, uh, it's not being honored. I mean, I'm. It's such a shame, too. I'm lucky in my family. Definitely, people on both sides of the debate, but at the end of the day, um, in my extended family, everybody's like respects. Like, all right, that's your decision. Whatever. Um, but like, I know a lot of others, though. It's like tearing them apart where you, you have people getting shunned. You have people um, not allowed to go to birthday parties, not allowed to go to weddings, not allowed to go to funerals. And uh, it's incredibly sad how, like, the politiz- politicization of. 
A health choice. A health choice is... Yeah, I'm actually extremely angry at these people for the Fauci's of the world, the uh, CDC, the FDA, the president, both presidents, Trump and Biden. I mean, Trump was the one who initiated Operation Warp Speed and pushed it. He was very proud to push it on people. And Biden, obviously, bullying people last winter, you're going to have a, a winter of death. You know, I, I want to speak to that, actually, because when, when he said um, for the unvaccinated, it's going to be, a, I remember the the... the conversation he literally used i mean this is not exact but very close he said for the unvaccinated it is going to be a winter of death and maybe despair or some other derogatory but i I remember death and misery or something to that effect and i thought wow he's um making a medical prognosis, giving a medical prognosis to everyone in this country who decided to wait. Uh, and he's not a doctor. And um, and then I, I personally found it, and I, I'm, I'm not going to, I found it challenging when he got it into the mic and said, and to you doctors, call your unvaccinated patients and tell them to do this. I thought, again, practicing attempting to practice medicine. Um, And again, you know, it is an individual's decision between their healthcare provider that they have chosen. And, and it's between two people that, and that's where I believe, or, or even second opinions, third opinions, but an informed opinion, uh, one size fits all medicine has never been ideal for everyone. Everybody, uh, needs to assess their individual risks and whether or not the benefits outweigh the risk based on all of the information available. But the information is preliminary. And the um, also the information that is available has been censored. So it's a concern. Um, so I, I don't hold anything against the doctors that have... Um, you know, acted in in their patient's best interest and and decided to, based on an individual's risk factor, decided to recommend uh, other options. Yeah, one thing you're one thing you're very adamant about too is preventative care, and that's another thing that never really entered the conversation throughout that all was this. Super frustrating, actually, because I've dedicated my career to prevention, um, <laughs> wellness, and. Little simple things like vitamin D can have a profound impact on contraction and outcome. And that's, you know, pennies or just getting out in the sunshine. Uh, I remember a time when, you know, the the playgrounds were roped off and the kids were inside all day. And just thinking the best thing for them right now would be the sunshine that affects your immune system that helps you fight things like this. It's frustrating that um, simple Simple things like um, exercise, which people were not exercising. They were staying inside. They did not want to be exposed. And um, ironically, one of the best things they could be doing would be getting out there and exercising and decreasing their inflammatory levels and not being sedentary and getting the sunshine. So it was was tough. Yeah, it almost seemed like they were trying to manufacture a health crisis. Uh, Compounding (laughs) health. 
Um, well, you know, look, I mean, I've been very public about this on this show, but my son, he's two. I've had to hire a speech pathologist to come because he's delayed on speech because there was the first two years of his life. He was born right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, every adult that he interacted with out in the world had a mask on. And, Important. and he, due to the lockdowns, was, I mean, luckily, was able to hang out with his cousins and our family made sure the kids were hanging out a lot and all the time. But, um, yeah, I mean, didn't have like a normal first two years of his life in t terms of interacting with the world and adults, other kids uh, who had masks on and so they couldn't read their lips. And he's, he's not like, he's, from what we've heard, he's much less um, behind than a lot of other kids. But uh, it's a big problem. Like you it's think about like the compounding negative externalities as as the years go on. They can rip kids out of school, they miss two years of school and at a very formative age in terms of brain function and stuff like that. Like what are what's gonna happen? And how were these potential outcomes not even considered or if they were considered and um, the decisions were made anyway. Like, who are, who are the people making these decisions? They can't they can't think on a second, third, fourth order effect level, and therefore they should not be in the positions to make these decisions um, if they're if they're that um, just surface level. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I, I think that our kids have paid a very high price, and um, and I'm hoping that through education and through nutrition and lots of sunshine exercise, you know, hopefully they can, their kids are resilient and hopefully we can just make their health a priority and focus on moving forward and heal any of the, the, the gaps that they've missed in their milestones and um, just maybe use it as a motivator to really just focus on, you know, nourishing them more mentally and physically, nutritionally. So I think, you know, use this as a wake-up call. Yes. That's what I, I think. It, it is a massive wake-up call for a lot of people. And again, go back to preventative health. I think people are starting to realize with COVID particularly, it uh, affected people with a certain BMI and um, diet uh, differently than, than those who were healthy and People are beginning to be like, oh, maybe I should get my act in order. I mean, we see it here in Bitcoin. Obviously, you're at the Beef Initiative uh, last week or two weekends ago. Um, and at least here in like the Bitcoin world, um, there there certainly is like a, a subsect of, of people who are like, all right, we're going to get really healthy. Um, it makes perfect sense. You want um, you want to be sovereign from a health standpoint, from a so it all goes along from an education standpoint, from a monetary standpoint, um, from a self-governance standpoint, you know, for all of these reasons, you want to be free. And so it makes sense that people who value freedom uh, would want to focus on their most valuable asset and uh, put it as a priority, which is their health. Yeah. What, are, what do you think are some like the low hanging fruits that people could do out there um, in terms of the biggest healthy. thing, I, I mean, I think it's just to make a make it a priority because there's so many things on our plate right now to choose from. 
And a lot of us are uh, spending our time on things that we may feel are more important than your health because it's easy to put last and you have to put it first. Um, but to be the best version of yourself um, and to, to make the right decisions for your financial future and your education and your relationships and your cognitive function, you really have to be healthy. And so it's, it's really the root of every successful story is health and mental clarity. And we just haven't prioritized it for some reason until there's a problem. And by that point, it's gone pretty far. So it's, it's so much easier, you know, the ounce of prevention, pound of cure phrase. Um, it's so much easier to just build it in and prioritize it uh, earlier before you're diagnosed with some sort of disease that could have been uh, avoided. Yeah. It's really messed up. You know, talk about like perverse incentives too. Like, God, I was talking about this yesterday in Archer. I hate all these three letter agencies, like the FDA coming out with the food pyramid that is just in the seventies that is essentially led to obesity and diabetic diabetes, heart disease, pandemic. That's another thing. Like, we talk pandemics. Like there is a, an obesity pandemic right now in the United States. Oh, certainly. And the kids, um, and the numbers are very high for fatty liver disease in kids, which affects cognitive development, mental clarity, um, hormone development. And we're seeing a lot of um, issues with especially young boys having lower hormone levels, or I should say more teenage teenage boys, um, late teens, early 20s. Their, their testosterone numbers are lower than they have been historically. There's data that shows that it's a dramatic decline in testosterone levels in men. Uh, that's certainly what I was seeing in my practice um, as I started testing my men, my male, even my teenage patients um, saw a dramatic decline. So, so things are changing with regard to health. And I think we've just become more sedentary. We've um, gone for more convenience, such as fast food and processed food. And um, we've not gotten enough sunshine. We've not had enough time in nature. We're, we're distracted right now. And right, I mean, I, we can all see why, but it's so simple to redirect. So low, low hanging fruits, um, mineral deficiencies are huge. That affects your immunity. That affects your brain function. That affects your metabolism. Um, that affects your hormone levels. That affects your, your insulin glucose um, sensitivity. So minerals are low-hanging fruits, and we're not getting enough of those because our soil is demineralized. The problems are are big, but they're so simple to solve. Eat foods that are high in minerals, um, mostly natural whole, whole food type, um, you know, grass-fed type things, um, organic if possible. Or um, low-hanging fruits are just get enough minerals, and usually, unfortunately, now it almost always involves some supplementation. And that supplementation is is a tricky subject as well. You want to make sure that it's hopefully manufactured in the United States and third party verified for purity and potency, and um, you know making sure that there's no contaminants and and all of that. That's a whole nother topic. But that's a, but but you can find reputable brands, um, and you can replace minerals. And that's one thing that really almost anyone can do. And it has a lot of value on every level that I can think of yeah. from a health standpoint. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, 
That's what um, we've been really trying to like hone in on like cooking from home as much as possible. Just bought a half cattle from Cole. That's awesome. At K and C. And that steak is really, that's a good thing too. Like the good food is tasty as well. And you're not as hungry throughout the day too when you eat n- nutritious food. I think my theory is, is that we're all hungry and constantly craving carbs because we're on that. Well, first of all, we're, we're nutrient de- deprived. We may have plenty of calories, but the nutrients in those calories are so minuscule that we're constantly craving the some something to replace those minerals. And, and I don't think we ever really get all of them without supplementation, unless you're like on a first generation farm in the middle of nowhere, maybe you can, but, um, or maybe if you're subscribing to regenerative farming, which is just starting to uh, become uh, a thing that is discussed and and implemented. Mm -hmm. But if, if it's not a priority, it more than likely you're, you're nutritionally deprived. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, fractal complex systems like the soil is a complex system we mess that up and then the body is a complex system and due to the complex system below us and the soil being messed up it's messing up our complex yes but resilient and easy to fix also yes yeah we have to have an optimistic tune to this we can fix it it is fixable i've seen it all all day every day of my career (laughs) since i switched over from regular traditional medicine into functional medicine um i mean that's all i do is reverse it and and, and it's surprisingly easy what made you make the transition from i had a health journey on my own i um, i got sick i got really sick um after i think i i attribute it to the stress of medical school and residency the lack of sleep um addiction to Sugar, I became addicted at a young age to sugar. I grew up in the 70s, so, you know, sugar was... The FDA came out, had yeah. sugar on the pyramid and said, hey, sugar get, was, your, get your servings. Yeah, you know, I remember at certain people's homes that I would visit, there'd be a two-liter bottle of soda on the dinner table, and that was just normal. Um, yeah, it was a different time. I remember being at swim meets on the swim team, and before we swam, we'd be eating Kool-Aid right out of the little packet, thinking the sugar would give us more energy to swim faster. Um, I, I know I always felt terrible after doing that, but, yeah. <laughs> but the uh, so it was a just different time, different science. But remember Fun Dip? I do. Yes, I remember that Fun, fun Dip. Fun it's dip still out there, by the way, because my kids still bring it home, like on Halloween and things. Yeah, or school. Uh, parties and things. I mean, I mean, I used to do fun dip. I mean, I was an athlete. I used to think Gatorade was good for me. Oh yeah, me too. Um, and that that was actually for me. I think that's the cutting out sugar specifically. And I did it after college, like first year after college. I I had terrible eczema my whole life. And it would, like, and I was very embarrassed about it because, like, in the winter, especially, it would get really bad where. Um, you can just be like all over my arm up to my armpits and stuff like that. And, and as soon as I cut out sugar in like 2014, I'm sure I've touched sugar and come across it. But I, I don't drink soda or Gatorade or um, candy uh, at all. I mean, I'll be off of chocolate every once in a while. But my, I haven't had eggs in six years, seven, eight years now almost. Um, which is crazy. And it was something that plagued me my whole life, the first 23 years of my life. 
So it had something to do with the sugar and maybe even some of the processed food that the sugar was combined with. Mm-hmm. Um, like seed oils are another low-hanging fruit that I think are going to be interesting to follow. That um, The things that we were taught were healthy oils actually aren't. And the things that we were taught were unhealthy like egg yolks and um, healthy protein and-, and all of that sort of thing. I think w- if gradually um, we'll, we'll learn like everything that, the more we interfere, the more we seem to mess things up. <laughs> right. <laughs> we could just get back to the basics. Well, I'm big on the uh, the seed oil disrespecting train here. I am too. And uh, I think that's going to be a, a big... In fact, I had an, a migraine patient not too long ago that had suffered just almost disabled by them and um, and suggested that he go seed oil free. So I'll... Let you know how that, hopefully. But there's good a good argument for doing that for inflammatory brain conditions. Mm-hmm. Anything that causes brain fog or um, uh, inflammate, you know, um, sluggish thinking, poor memory, um, poor motivation, that sort of thing. I think it's worth it for a lot of those patients. Worth a try. I mean, aren't there studies that like the seed oil specifically can lead to like the plaque in the brain that leads to Alzheimer's and dementia? I haven't seen those specific studies, but I can tell you there's a good argument for inflammation in the brain. And uh, inflammation is the root of all problems in the brain, mm-hmm. I believe, the, well, in either a direct or indirect way. Yeah. No, I need, uh, I need as little inflammation in my brain as possible. I've had six concussions. Um, three were pretty bad. Do you still have cognitive issues from those at all? Ever a little sluggishness or tired? Or are you just trying to make sure they don't become a problem later? Trying to make sure they don't become a problem later. Because my concussion patients, getting enough sleep, eating a healthy diet, um, an anti-inflammatory type is, is critical. And then sunshine is hugely important for the brain for inflammation. Mm-hmm. So I tell them to get the early morning wavelengths of sun, which is near infrared, is probably the best. And... Um, Sometimes I even recommend something called photobiomodulation, which is a helmet that delivers that near-infrared light uh, for brain healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my last concussion was in 2010. Yeah, 2010, so 12 years ago. But multiple concussions, you want to focus on brain health. And mm-hmm. one of the best things you can do for brain health is watch your sugar. So you're doing that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I cut sugar out 2014. Sugar's inflammatory as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, gotta gotta protect your brains, freaks. Uh, <laughs> pretty important part of the body. Pretty important muscle there. Uh, well, you can't protect your brain without protecting your whole body. I mean, you really just have to be healthy and well. Yeah, that's why actually moving to Austin's been great for that. Like getting outside. My wife, my son, and I. My son is outside like eight hours a day. Like he just run. Like he cannot stay inside. So. Keep him dirty. Yeah. All that dirt is so good for him and for his immune system development. Yeah, we let him run around barefoot in the backyard. Yep. Right. Just, um, <laughs> do do whatever. He's We've got a pond in our backyard too. and he's Be careful. There's rattlesnakes around here. <laughs> I know. Well, that's why I, I had to text a few friends. I was like, should I be worried about him? Running around barefoot. They're like, eh. I have a good friend whose son was bitten by a rattlesnake in their front yard. Really? Did great. They... They went to the ER and got everything that they needed. Kids okay? It's okay. All right, that's good to know. Um, dang, I could sit here and keep talking for like hours, but you have obligations to get to. Um, 
I do. And I just want to clarify that I'm not here to judge anybody's decisions or um, promote or condemn any type of treatment. I'm just here to say that really it's a decision, an individual decision. Yeah. Which, yeah. And that's something we've been saying here. Like, I don't care what you do. Just don't try to force me to do anything one way or the other. Um, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for sticking up for your patients. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I, uh, I love my patients. So, yeah, I want, I want the best for them. Well, they're lucky to have you. Thank you. Um, and yeah, we'll have to do this. We'll have to get more in depth into like the whole uh, diet side of things at some point in the future. Is that something? Sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about maybe monetary things as well. Yeah. We, time. Oh yeah. We can get into that as well. Um, we actually had Andy uh, Schoonover from Crowd Health. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, I've heard of it. I'd like to learn more about that. Yeah, there's there's some interesting ways in which Bitcoin is seeping into the uh, the uh, medical industry, which is which is great to see. Because again, a lot of these problems are driven by uh, uh, the need for profit, and Bitcoin can lower the time preference of the industry and allow them to to save and accumulate capital. Maybe they don't get caught in a perpetual motion machine of chasing quarterly profits um, for the sake of of growth. We right. can focus on health. Yeah, I think the the Bitcoin in beef is interesting. Bitcoin in um, you know freedom is interesting, and it will be very interesting to see how Bitcoin plays into the future of healthcare. Um, to be to be seen, but I can see some potential benefits and and freedom that it offers. I did opt out of all of the insurance just in order to not have be told what I can and can't do for my patients. That was a big decision. So um, opting out of something to go to a better system can have, I think, huge benefits. Your patients are happy people, I imagine. I feel like they, I mean, it's a rewarding situation because they appreciate me and um, I get, I get energy from them doing well. And it's just, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming together for, for each other's benefit. And, and it, it just, it's a nice working relationship. It's like, if you ever had, I consider myself the employee of the patient. If you've ever had a really good employee and you value that relationship and you're seeing good benefits and they're doing good work, that's kind of how I see myself. I'm, I'm, I'm there to serve. And, um, and they come back and they, they keep me as their employee, I guess, <laughs> because um, we do good work together. I need to find a doctor like you, doctor. Thanks. Um, we're out there. And I think through all of the trauma that we've been through, through the past couple of years, there'll be more people who are choosing that relationship again. Yeah. I think the the other system is just dysfunctional. Yeah. And um, I feel sorry for the doctors that are getting burnout. And yeah, I don't think I've been to the doctors in like three or four years just because I'm like, eh, I don't like the experience. And I've always so felt- You're still young. You can get away with it and you're probably pretty healthy. So, but uh, focusing on wellness now is, is, is a great, great place to, um, to invest your time and your education in right now. Yeah. We'll talk more. If you got to work out more, I got to work out more. I've been 
I've been very busy. I've been working out enough. But well, you should you should do the bone broth cleanse with us next. I week. am. I you am. are going to do it. Great. Yeah. I've got okay. my I've got my bones. I've got to make the broth. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be able to do it if I wasn't accountable to everybody else. It's, well, so, it's I, I just would put it on the back burner. I do have one comment. It's on a Friday and a Saturday. It's like you're no, do it's it. a Thursday and a Friday. Oh, Thursday and a Friday. Right. Okay. And then Saturday is my birthday. So it's perfect. Oh. It worked out. I didn't pick the date, so I was like, okay, we're going to do the bone broth fast. You know, Wednesday is fat loading. Thursday, I'm pretty sure that's right on the dates. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday, we're going to do bone broth and grass-fed butter or ghee, water, black coffee, black tea for 48 hours as a group. And then we're going to discuss our whys. Why why is this important to us and how are we going to get better? And then we're going to discuss our wins. (laughs) And I think it'll be energizing to do it as a group. I think there's an unspoken energy when you work in a group. Oh, I completely agree. It's It's motivation. I mean, if you ever play team sports, like that motivation. Exactly. so this is a big team. I think there's thousands of people doing it. Yeah. And maybe we'll do it, you know, once or twice a year, long-term. We're calling it the Bone Broth Challenge. Uh, Texas Slim and I just decided to do this because I was telling him how important it has been for so many of my patients. And Because um, it restructures your gut, right? It really should be called the Bone Broth Reset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps restore normal flora. It heals the gut. All of that we'll talk about, but it, it's, it's for most people, it, it has a profound impact on their health. So yeah. good. We'll be doing that together next week. Oh yeah. Well, mentally preparing. Uh, and if, the mental preparation is important well, because you've set your time and you're ready. Mm-hmm. That and like if my life, wife goes into labor during the bone broth challenge, am I going to stick with it? I think I'm going to try, but there's going to be a lot of stress. There's going to be a lot of emotions. I'm going to chug through with the bone broth. A better story at the end. Yes. I was, I was fasting when you came to this world. So. There you go. I was uh, focusing on my health so that I could be the best version of myself. I was thinking about you and your best interest before you were even born, which we all have done. I can hear my there wife. I can hear my wife scream, this baby's not coming next week. Shut up. Um, <laughs> all right. I know you've got to go. Thank you. This was an incredible yeah, conversation. Thanks, Thank thanks. you for what you do. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Um, we'll do it again. Sounds great. Peace and love, freaks. Bye-bye.